this passage starts out on the third day. And if you check through John's gospel, it's also the seventh day of Jesus' activity. So the third day and the seventh day. These are big things in John's gospel. There's lots of numbers that mean things. The third day was when Jesus rose from the dead, yeah? And seventh day is the day of completion. Although a few scholars argue it might be an eighth day, but it feels like it's a day of importance, a day of new life. And a wedding is taking place at a place called Cana in Galilee. This is near where Jesus grew up. And he has got an invitation to go. Actually, if you read the NIV text in front of you, it doesn't exactly say what's in the original. Uh, It says Jesus and his disciples have been invited in the NIV. But actually, the text says Jesus has been invited. (laughs) And his disciples went with him. So imagine your bridezilla in Cana in Galilee. (laughs) And up rocks, possibly the favorite person you've ever met in your life, Jesus, who you're delighted is coming to your wedding because you've got to imagine that growing up, he was pretty wonderful to, to know, haven't you? The sort, of, the sort of guy that you went to, you confided in, you, you were just thrilled that he was coming to your wedding. Maybe your mum and his mum were best mates. Maybe that's why he's there. And suddenly he rocks up and there are like 12 riffraff following behind it. There's fishermen, there's a tax collector, you know, all sorts of awful, awful people turning up at your wedding. And, uh, and then you're running out of wine. <laughs> Imagine how Bridezilla's feeling about this situation. It, it, you know, it's not, it's not going to be going well. So Jesus' mother is there. And we know Jesus' mother's name, don't we? She's called... Mary, well, we know that, but John's not going to mention that by name. We'll pick up on that in a second. Uh, Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had been invited to the wedding. Well, Jesus had been invited anyway. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother, what an interesting phrase, Jesus' mother said to him. And then look what he says in reply, woman, why do you involve me? And this needs a bit of explanation, doesn't it? She then says something which causes him to activate a first miracle. We'll look at that in a second, but just have a look at what we're going to be talking about here. See these, uh, these pictures of ceremonial uh, jars of water um, containing 80 to 120 litres of water each. Uh, just as a visual aid, a black bin uh, is 80 litres, and that big dustbin you've got on your driveway before the council reduced them to half size, that was about 120 litres. So we're talking about a colossal amount of liquid here, a vast amount of liquid. The miracle itself is going to produce the equivalent of about 1,000 bottles of Chateau Papeneuf de Blanc or whatever it is <laughs> that it made. 1,000 bottles of wine is what we're talking about in this miracle. So hold that in your head. Vast, vast quantities of liquid. Okay, uh, next slide, please. What do we make of, of this, uh, this fascinating use of uh, Jesus' mother and Jesus' reply? Well, on your, left, on, uh, on your left is the script as it is in John's Gospel. Jesus' mother says, they have no wine. Jesus says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Mary says, do whatever he tells you. And I've tried to sort of work this out for us in a slightly longer script. Um, so here's Jesus' mother, Mary, on the right-hand side. Help, son, our friends are about to be shamed. They have no wine. It would be a colossal cultural shame to run out of wine early in this, what might be a three-day wedding ceremony. If you were watching recently Around the World in 80 Days on the BBC, I don't know if anyone saw that, local actor, done good. 
uh, there, was a, there was a wedding in episode three or four. And it's a similar sort of thing. The entire community would be out en masse at this wedding. If you've run out of wine at your wedding, as a bridegroom especially, you're bringing shame on your family, you're bringing shame on yourself, you're bringing shame on your spouse and her family, etc., etc. If you saw the Chosen uh, films recently, they depict this and this shame that would come on the family Massive, hard for us to get our head around, but massive shame on our friends. Now, Jesus then says, woman, why do you involve me? <laughs> now, some of you are lucky enough to have uh, children. Some of you even luckier to have adult children who have left home. Um, the, if, if you've got kids who've grown up that much, can you remember when they last called you by um, one of those really familiar uh, names like Mama or Papa or Daddy or Mummy. It may have been last week when they wanted a loan, to be fair. <laughs> uh, but it's a, it's a lovely thing, isn't it? Mummy, Daddy. Um, I promised I won't bring up my children in sermons, so I won't tell you that occasionally someone calls me Dada. Um, but it does something good to you if you hear that sort of thing. And if they called me Richard, I'd be a little bit affronted. Sorry if that's your cultural norm in your family unit. I'm not judging you, but that, you know, I'd be a bit affronted. And if they just called me man, I'd be a bit like, whoa, what's going on here? So why is Jesus, who is the nicest bloke who ever lived, most caring, gentle, loving, and all the rest of it person, talking to Mary, who we know is a heroic figure in the scripture, and going, woman. <laughs> but actually, I think he's helping Mary on a transition that you and I have to make as well in our relationship with Jesus. See, often in recent years, we've invited people into what we've called a relationship with Jesus. And that's not the end point that the Bible wants to take us to at all. It's not actually really a New Testament phrase in the slightest. So you can have a relationship with Jesus for all sorts of things. I've got relationships with all sorts of people. Some people I've got a nodding relationship with. My neighbour, you know, we'll tell each other when we're leaving home, we're going away or something. If you want help with a guinea pig or so forth. <laughs> bring a parcel in, bring the bins in, sort of a relationship. Got a certain relationship with my siblings and my parents, relationship with all of you guys, praise God. But that's not what Jesus wants with me and with you, and it's not what he wanted with his mother either. Although she had the most intimate human relationship with Jesus that you could possibly have, he lived inside her, for nine months. That's not where Mary needed to end up in her interaction with Jesus. She, like you and me, needed to end it up as the D word. You know the D word? A disciple. So Jesus deliberately distances himself from that beginning relationship with Mary, woman, also a woman. Do you remember elsewhere in the Gospels he says, those who do my will and my mother and brother and sisters, he deliberately distances himself from that natural claim and invites her into a step of faith and obedience. And she becomes, as you know, a fantastic disciple of Jesus. She has to change her relationship from Mary, the mother of Jesus, to Mary, the disciple of Jesus. I wonder if you've changed your relationship from the, I am a friend of Jesus, or he is my savior. So I am his disciple and he is my Lord. Because that's the invitation in scripture. Uh, and so he, he's, he's quite a funny interaction. 
I'm a grown man now. We're going to have to relate to each other, dear mother. <laughs> uh, then, but also, I'm not the one responsible here. If Jesus comes and saves the day, what, what happens to the bridegroom? It's his job to make sure this is going on well. If Jesus does a massively trumpeted, brilliant miracle, the bridegroom still has shame. The wedding's good, but the bridegroom is still in shame. So Jesus says, it's not my responsibility. Uh, it's the bridegroom. And Mary then just says these brief words to the servants. Do whatever he tells you. And it's the phrase of a disciple, a phrase of someone who trusts that this man, Jesus, is going to step up. And also, if you look into the next chapter where John the Baptist says, Jesus is the bridegroom and I am the best man, it's a statement of faith that Jesus actually is the bridegroom, not of the wedding of Cana, but bridegroom to all of us and billions of other believers collectively, the bride of Christ. We are his bride. He is the bridegroom. And Mary gets to be the first one to go for that one. John the Baptist in the next chapter follows through. So obey him. So have we put our faith in him in the journey that Mary has to? Uh, next slide, please, at the back there. And then, then you sort of ask, well, you know, why so much wine? <laughs> I have to say, you know, I, I have a little bit of a relationship with alcohol where I have to be very careful about how much I drink. And periodically, and sometimes for increasingly lengths of time, I just stop drinking. So that it's not uh, commanding my life in any way. I've just proven to be the more effective way of me keeping sort of a balance in my life. I'm not that good at just careful moderation. I'm a bit of an all-in sort of person. So why does Jesus make a thousand bottles of wine? <laughs> pretty dangerous isn't it for for quite a lot of people um well his kingdom is a kingdom of abundance and actually when you're in the full joy of jesus you know you're not you're not using alcohol or other substances like work or money or security to look after yourself to look after your well-being you're trusting him and when he's around abundance just flows in the Old Testament, there were two particular prophecies of real abundance around a sort of messianic figure. One goes back to the story of Joseph, where Jacob prophesies over his son Judah at the end of his life, and he says, there's going to be a Messiah coming, a king in the house of Judah, who could even wash his garments in wine and his vestures in the blood of grapes, which I don't think was his take on Daz Ultra. <laughs> you know, it's probably not going to make your best white linen. But he was just saying, wine will flow so freely when the Messiah's around it's just going to be abundant. You're not going to have to worry out about it at all. And again, in Amos, one about the whole mountains and hills flowing and dripping with sweet wine. One of the signs of God's king being in place is just an abundance of this glorious wine. And Jesus said that he, would, he wasn't going to drink wine again after the Last Supper until he'd drink it anew in the kingdom. There is going to be glorious wine flowing in the kingdom of God, and we'll all be redeemed and perfectly safe to, to drink of it there, which will be a beautiful thing. Um, so abundance means restoration, surplus, favor, and more than you need. And uh, that's been our story here as a church family down the years, hasn't it? A few of you are on the finance committee of church here, and one of the extraordinary joys over the last uh, 10 plus years that we've been here now is uh, setting deficit budgets on a regular basis. 
and seeing them sort of transformed by the end of the year. I don't know if you've been around long enough to remember, but the, the first year that, uh, that we were here, there was a stonework project at Christchurch Turnham Green. Anyone remember that? Just give us a hand. Nigel and I did a big walk to raise money for it, uh, which was, was wonderful. Some others here are probably involved in that as well. Um, and we had to raise 300,000 pounds. And I think we got a loan agreed that would pay it off over an eight-year period <laughs> with the finance committee. And by the end of the year, in God's economy, it was all paid for. 20 years ago, if you go back well before we were here, uh, there was an architect called Ian who helped us with Christchurch Turnham Green. He's actually passed away this week. Uh, God, God bless him. Um, and a, a 1.2, 1.3 million pound project was done at Christchurch Turnham Green. And there was a PCC meeting, that's the church committee meeting, uh, at the end of the project where they sort of counted up all the dimes that had come in. And I think it was about 300 pounds short, as the story's been told to me. Um, and they were sitting around thinking, this is amazing, we've had all this, but we're still short of 300 pounds. And someone pulled out an envelope from their pocket. You Catch up with the story at the back if you were in the room, tell everyone the story as it happened. But in the envelope was a check for the exact amount of money that was still needed for this incredible project. If you're sitting in here now in the dry with the heating on, you will know that on the roof are slates with prophecies and Bible verse written on the underside as God brought in huge amounts of money while I was on sabbatical <laughs> in 2015, I think it was. Um, and God provided for an, a phenomenal project there. A prayer chapel here, which incidentally has just been cleared out, so it's really lovely to come in and use in a week. If you want access, talk to Lydia at the front here. She'll be able to help you to get access in the middle of the week to come in and pray in here. And this staging and so forth, again, provided for and paid for. And in the last year, you've probably all been part of this, uh, the AV PA project, which I had no faith would get done. I mean, apart from you know, using up our reserves or something, has been paid for almost entirely in full in God's glorious providence and mercy. Isn't God good? And so we get to the end of a year with a sense of crikey. Once again, God has provided for us in ways that, you know, a year of little faith didn't necessarily expect. Um, but we've got more to do as a church family. In fact, there's one specific thing to do that uh, I really feel God said, we'll see done. And I, I believe in, in the time that, that we're here. And uh, the south side of the site, which is to your right through there, I want you to imagine these, uh, these windows, these three central windows are actually ceiling to floor doorways onto a green. You can see right through to the play park, maybe even a dog pen outside with a relayed video link so that you can be a dog walker and do church <laughs> on a Sunday to drag some of those... Uh, you know, pagans into church in that way. <laughs> Massive community there. I've got a dog, I love it. Um, buildings redone. Just this last week, there's been the early signs, is it right, Nikki? Early signs that the diocese are pretty much at the point of giving up on trying to recruit vast sums of money out of us for that land. They're pretty much at the point of shaking it off their feet and going, oh, for goodness sake, we'll let Christchurch sort that one out now. Which means, if we can secure that, then we don't have to liaise with another party. We just got whoever are the sitting tenants in there to think about how can we redevelop that so the 
I mean, tens of thousands of people who go past every day on the Piccadilly and District Line will see that God actually did need more space in London. You can see how well it's used inside, but for many people in the community, they still can't see how fantastic this story is. So we're going to get this, this done. And out at the moment, we have an advert for an associate vicar for strategic development. And we've had some really fantastic interest in this post from people. Uh, but one of the limiting factors uh, is the same with, with our curates, is that we don't actually have accommodation for them. And over the years, we've been renting for uh, associate vicars and curates over the last 10 years. And we're now sort of thinking, well, wouldn't it be wonderful to not keep pouring money on rental? Maybe you're in that position in your personal life as well. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could start to build up accommodation for, for an associate vicar, for, for a curate? And actually, the place where Lids and John have been living, uh, we can't put a curate in anymore for, for reasons outside our control. So we need to find a new housing for curates. It could be something very close to here. That'd be quite exciting. Um, but how to do it? And, uh, and if we want an associate, there's one who's really, really interested, who's got quite a large family, how to do it? What could we provide in way of housing and so forth? I'm really just going to come up and uh, just talk a little bit more on, uh, on giving and so forth here. Um, but I hope that's begun to whet your appetite for what God might be doing and how he's provided for us thus far as well. Thank you, Richard. Um, my name's Ruth. If you haven't gathered that, you've probably seen enough of me this morning. But um, for the next three weeks, um, as your church warden, I'm standing up here, and along with Mark, our other church warden, we're going to be taking a little bit of time in each of the services on the topic of giving, and particularly in our giving to this church. Um, this week, we're going to be looking at the principles of giving. Um, but first, let's look at a couple of verses from Scripture on that talk about us in the Bible uh, about giving. And the first one is Proverbs 11:25. The generous person will prosper, and whoever refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And then 2 Corinthians 9, uh, chapter 9 verses 6 to 8. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That sounds amazing, doesn't it? I love the bit, God loves a cheerful giver. So we have to smile as we give. But the first thing I really want to say this morning is a big thank you to everyone who gives to the church. Many of us here will give in some form or another, and without it, the church really could not function. And we'll come on to that more next week. But giving is not just about what we can get as a church and what we, what we can do with that, but it's actually good for us as Christians to bless and be blessed through our giving. It grows us spiritually. 
If we're honest, giving can sometimes feel a bit of a challenge. And it can take a real step of faith to begin a regular commitment, either to give first or to increase what we already give. I know it took me a long time. But in the same way that serving, loving your neighbor, or any other aspect of the Christian faith can be challenging, giving is part of our faith. And once you're a seasoned giver, giving sacrificially can be very exciting. We may have some exciting stories about how even though we've given sacrificially, we found that far from losing out in any way, we actually had even more than before. And please do let Mark or myself know if you have a story that you could share with us to inspire and encourage us all. Of course, we shouldn't be giving with the expectation of receiving more back. But God promises, as we have read, just that those who do will be blessed. So to summarize, giving is a vital part of the Christian faith, instructed by Jesus and reiterated throughout the Bible. We've just been hearing in John's Gospel from Richard and from Richard about Jesus' abundant generosity. And in this time when we're looking at our giving, we'd love you to think about what you can commit in your giving to the church. Please consider if you can begin to give for the first time, and it really doesn't matter how much. It's just getting into that habit that's important. Or if you already give, are you able to increase at this time? Next time, we're going to be talking in practical terms about why Christchurch needs our giving and where the money is spent. But please don't let that delay you from either giving for the first time now or increasing that giving. We'd encourage you to sign up for a regular structured approach as it helps us to plan our finances better. And Rich has you know, alluded to some of the things that we want to be planning for the future. And we've all got hopefully this flyer and Lydia's going to encourage us to fill that out in a minute. I'm going to be at the back of the service, um, at the back of the church after the service, and I can answer any questions or I'll try to answer any questions that you may have or give assistance to anyone who's unsure about how to set something up. And I'd also love to hear any stories that you may have about how you have been blessed in giving. Thank you very much and bless you. Thank you so much. Ruth, Ruth is uh, one of our, our church, if you don't know what a church warden is, it's sort of our, our sort of senior lay people in church who have responsibility with Nicola uh, for, for the running of the church and governance of the church. Mark, the other church warden, was saying at 9.30, what a time to bring a giving campaign when, you know, fuel bills are going up, there's national insurance rises and so forth. But in some ways, that's such a Bible sort of thing, isn't it? Do you remember how Gideon um, drenched his fleece <laughs> and said, go on then, God, do something. And that's sort, of the, that's sort of the stance of faith. You know, the story of scarcity is the story of our culture at the moment. Like, you know, there's not enough, there's not enough. And when I, when I was in Juba in, in, in the prison in South Sudan, I watched someone giving <laughs> into the offering there, one of the prisoners, you know, giving from, from real scarcity, from deep scarcity. And it was very moving. You know, when I was 
quite young, I started to learn this stuff. When I went to Sunday school, I would be given a tenth of my pocket money to hand into the collection at Sunday school, and it sort of stayed with me. Um, when I had a building society, went public when I was 17. Do you, do you remember that, those days? That sort of dates me a little bit. Um, I didn't need the money. So I remember cashing it and sticking it through the church letterbox because <laughs> I, I didn't need it at the time for, for the church to use. I remember the, uh, being in the room when the pastor came in. He was like, oh, I wonder if this is bank robbery or something. <laughs> Someone out of guilt put this money through the door. Um, but then when I left university, I got a job that paid me um, nearly £7,000 for six weeks' work. It was bizarre. I, um, I got, got provided for me. And then I gave money away to someone who was going to go abroad, and I didn't have any money left because I was earning £40 a week at the time, um, or £50 maybe. Um, and, uh, and God provided the money I needed to go abroad. And then through my life, as I've tried to give to God first, I've never lacked any good thing. I actually had a real hang-up with God about whether I could take a stipend or not because I was quite enjoying the living by faith. <laughs> and, you know, money coming through doors under, you know, all sorts of ways God provided for me. So when I said at the beginning, it's a privilege to invite you into a journey of faith, an adventure of an abundant God. It really is. This is like one of the best ways of being a Christian is to go, actually, I don't want to just be a friend of God. I don't want to just be in a relationship with Jesus. I want to be a disciple. And I really want to put my trust in you, Lord. And that will probably involve me putting my trust in you with my bank balance, with my regular income, and so forth as well. And that's how we sort of grow as a people uh, together when we do trust God with our, our bottom line and with our income. So it's a real privilege to just be able to put that out to you with Ruth today. I'll just finish with the, uh, the final slide, if we can. Uh, yeah, keep, keep going. These are the what's on your paper. So just these two things then. Uh, can you make the journey from simply having a relationship with Jesus to being a disciple of Jesus like Mary had to? And secondly, can you trust him with your finances and know that whatever you give him, he can multiply? And let's let Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus Christ, have the final words. This is what Jesus had to say. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. From Luke's Gospel. And God bless you today. Amen.